everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryGoldState.com. I am Craig Nerosala, and I'm joined by Brandon Musso. How are we doing tonight, Brandon? Doing good as always. How about you? I'm good. Uh, I'll tell you what. On Sunday, you know who I know it was game week? I saw James Franklin tweet, Indiana, Indiana, Indiana. And I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time for some Penn State football. However, we have some sad news to talk about first with the loss of Journey Brown potentially for the season. For those who don't know, it was announced, we're recording on October 20th, Tuesday night at about nine o'clock. Um, the news dropped late last night that Journey Brown, will, will, there's a chance that he will potentially miss the 2020 season. He has a pre-existing um, condition that could keep him out because of you know COVID testing, different things like that. Um, and although it's not like, you know, your broken ankle or a torn ACL, you know, this is a really devastating loss for Penn State. Um, and then today, the, the depth chart, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, that came out and he wasn't even on it. So tough loss for Penn State. Uh, he was my player of the year on the offense, going back to last week's podcast. I know Brandon had high hopes for him as well. So, Yeah, uh, a tough loss. I mean, first and foremost, you know, you want to pray for his health. Yes. Um, I know it's a big loss for the team and us as fans watching the, the football team and hoping to win games, but there are more important things and his health is definitely one of them. But you know, he could be back. I did watch the press conference today. Franklin did say and emphasized that that it wasn't a for sure thing that he was going to be out mm-hmm. the whole season. There is a chance he could be back. But either way, well wishes his way. Uh, hopefully he's back before we know it. Yeah, and from that press conference, I really liked how James Franklin emphasized Journey Brown, not just as the football player. We know he's a fantastic running back, but also as the person and how they're going to miss him in the running back room. They're going to miss him. Um, on the sideline, being you know the heat of battle um, out in the field, and one thing he did emphasize is that Journey Brown probably will be on the sidelines. I mentioned that with Micah Parsons possibly doing that with sitting out. He said Journey Brown would definitely do that, which is an awesome thing, not only for the team but also for the kid. You know, Journey Brown is somebody that he's probably going to look to get drafted after this season, regardless if he plays or not. I think NFL teams will look at that as a, a really positive sign and see what kind of person and what type of character uh, Journey Brown possesses and. I, I love that for this Penn State team, regardless if he's out there or not. Yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, Franklin emphasized how good of a guy that he he was and how much of a leader he is, um, and just how like happy he is for you know other guys on the team to do well, not just his own success but everyone else's success. So seeing him, you know, stay on the sidelines, help coach, you know, like pump everybody else up, that's a great um, that's a great thing for this team, and hopefully, you know, he's back on the field. We talked about you know the leadership that Journey Brown possesses, what the coaches think of him. He's going to have to lead a young um, running back unit that you know he was really the grizzled veteran of the group despite only playing really one year. But now looking at the depth chart uh, for 2020 in the first uh, week against Indiana, Noah Kane was listed as the number one. There was no or next to his name or Devin Ford's name, which we saw a lot last year with all four running backs. Every running back had the or next to their name. I mean, there was a potential they started, there was a potential they didn't. Um, this year, Noah Kane is the lead guy week one with Devin Ford as the number two. From there, Keziah Holmes, a f- true freshman, and then Kevon Lee, um, they're listed as the third string ors. Again, I, I think that James Franklin's excited about um, those two freshmen, but I don't think he envisions them playing week one unless you know an injury happens where they have to take the field. Yeah, and as I said last week, you know, you picked Journey Brown as your um, offensive MVP, and I put Noah Kane. So yeah. I, I mean, I told like like I said in that podcast, anything is possible. Like this year, we don't have no idea what's going to happen. 
and it turns out that Noah Kane's going to be getting a lot more time than we initially had expected. Um, so, you know, he'll take over. I'm not really convinced with the player that Devin Ford is. I think, I honestly think that uh, Gaziah Holmes will probably yeah, um, get really a more defined role. Yeah, he'll probably get a more defined role um, than Ford when it comes down to it. You know, maybe towards the end of the season, we'll, we'll be seeing a lot more Holmes and less Ford. But, you know, right now, the Kane's the number one guy, and it's his job to lose. And while we're talking about Devin Ford, he's also listed as the number one kick returner, uh, which is interesting. Just another way for Penn State to get his, the ball in his hands. Um, as we saw last year, his, he does have some big playability. Maybe um, that's another way for him to get involved um, in terms of getting the football if Noah Kane is going to be the featured back. I think there's still going to be a little bit of a rotation, but I like how I, I do like how we're leaving out the questions from last year, like, oh, which guy's going to start? Which guy's going to get the most carries? It's Noah Kane, number one. It's Devin Ford, number two. And then the freshman that you know we shouldn't really expect to see too much of um, just yet. Um, another really um, surprising thing on the depth chart was seeing true freshman Parker Washington. Um, he's a prospect from Texas, four-star last year. He is listed as a starting wide receiver. We knew the wide receiver group was a little bit down this year, but I wasn't expecting Parker Washington to uh, – be one of the stars and here he is apparently he's the real deal according to james franklin yeah I, I thought this was interesting too because i've been you know reading articles for the last month or so and you, you haven't seen keandre lambert smith as the as the yeah, freshman that's going to be the, the breakout guy i've seen a lot of people pick him and you know out of nowhere we get the depth chart today and we see parker washington and then keandre lambert smith behind him mm-hmm. i thought that was really interesting um but for us, I mean, Franklin has high hopes for Washington, obviously, but we talked about this last podcast, like no spring ball really hurts our ability to get a good look at some mm-hmm. of these freshmen. So, I mean, we're kind of flying blind with, you know, the talent that these guys have, but evidently Washington has been looking really good in practices. Yeah. And then what I did like was when that was announced that Washington would be the lead, uh, one of the leading receivers um, on the depth chart, Keandre Lambert-Smith tweeted that, you know, this class is special. Showing he's not selfish about it. He doesn't care that somebody in his class is starting ahead of him. He's proud of that. He's, he loves this class, um, showing he's a good teammate. And then to round out um, the wide receivers that are starting, um, Cam Sullivan-Brown, familiar name, and then Jahan Dotson, who we all expected to be one of the starting receivers. One guy I want to touch on, he was my freshman of the year in last week's podcast. Theo Johnson was listed with the tight ends. Grant, he was a fourth-string tight end. But I think that goes to show that Penn State does have some interest in playing him this year. Um, and, you know, tight end isn't really a position that you have to, you know, yeah, Pratt Firemuth is going to be set in stone. He's our starter. But then they can rotate in tight ends. They don't need to have, you know, you know, Brenton Strange is the only number two guy. He's the only guy that's going to be on the field. You know, they can rotate different guys. And I'm curious to see if uh, Theo Johnson, as a true freshman, does get some time on the field uh, at the tight end slot. Yeah, when I was when I was looking through the depth chart, I noticed that he was listed as the fourth tight end, uh, Johnson there, and I knew you'd probably be a little disappointed by that because we just talked no, about I'll him. <laughs> we just it. talked about him last week, but uh, you know, I think he'll get some time. As we said, you know, anything could happen in this season, and everyone is going to have a chance to play. In my opinion, I, I think that Franklin's going to be going to u- use his roster to the fullest this year because of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably see some Theo Johnson for you. Yeah, and this is definitely the year where you need more depth than ever. You know, we don't know if COVID cases, you know, injuries, all that stuff. Um, so we'll, hopefully we'll see Theo Johnson for good reasons, not for bad ones. Mm-hmm. Um, moving over to the defense. Defensive line, I think, was pretty solid. We pretty much knew what was going to happen across the board there. We touched on some guys last week that we're excited about. Jason Owe, 
Shane Simmons, we, you know, we, we love Shaka Tony. He put we out do. a bunch of weight. He's not just a edge rusher. He, he looks like he's going to be stacking the line a little bit. But then moving to the linebackers, we have Luketa, uh, Ellis, and Smith across the board at linebacker. Again, pretty predictable, but with the loss of Micah Parsons, we were eager to see who would fill in his slot. Um, and those were the three that are listed as starters. Yeah, I'm not really that much surprised with who came as the starters for the linebackers. Um, those three guys were, in my opinion, the, the best available Absolutely. to fill in the position. But one thing I do want to note is I, you know, Franklin was talking in his press conference today about these guys, and he said, you know, Brooks and Luketa are both like those natural-born leaders that you know can lead a defense out in the field. You know, you have Lamont Wade as a safety, also being a leader out there, and then he said, you know, Brandon Smith is on a whole nother level with um, his leadership. So. You know, you might see a really veteran group out there, really smart uh, football IQ kind of guys that could really lead a defense. And what excites me is that seeing that depth chart and seeing what years everybody's in, there's no seniors in this linebacking group on the depth chart. So it's young, but it still have experienced talent that we could have for one or two more years and really be excited about um, coming out of State College. Parker Washington was a kind of surprise on the offensive side of things. I thought Joey Porter Jr. being a starter at cornerback across from Tariq Castro-Fields was a, a pleasant surprise. He's listed at 6'2", 193 pounds. That's awesome having a big corner out there. And we know, you know, if you know Joey Porter Sr., we know his defensive pedigree playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Joey Porter Jr. can do it at corner this year as a redshirt freshman. That'd be outstanding. Yeah, we definitely heard the name a lot. So I can't say I'm like that surprised that he's there, but, you know, it is a little bit surprising that he's there. And I really think he's going to be a special player, so probably well-deserved from what they've seen in practice. Yeah, because I thought Keaton Ellis would have more of a shot being that starting outside guy, but if they like him on the inside, then you know just roll with him out there. But Porter Jr. being a redshirt freshman, a rangy guy, big guy for a corner, I think that's awesome. And again, you know, we, we looked at Columbus. You know, They have a ton of great corners all the time. They're always big guys. We have one that we can develop and see for a couple of years. I think that'd be an excellent step in the right direction for the secondary that I'm already really, really excited about if you listen to last week's podcast. Um, and then one other thing that I noticed um, was Jordan Stout as a punter. Obviously, Blake Gillikin moved on. He was a four-year starter at punter. Jordan Stout, we know the big leg from the kickoffs and the field goals last year. He's going to change his role a little bit, adding to his kickoffs, and he's going to be the punter this year. And we know the big leg. We're going to see how um, precise he is in placing the football down inside you know the 20 and the 10 um and even inside the five and how much of a game changer it can be you know he has the boot let's see how accurate he is yeah we i mean we were probably really spoiled with blake gillikin all these past couple yeah, of years really. um it's, so it's time for somebody else to step up and you know this could be a real difference maker in games you know being able to flip the field is a very important mm-hmm. part of um battling in a game and you know ultimately winning a game um so we see hopefully that he you know comes out and it has a big leg that we have been accustomed to seeing for the last couple of years. Um, and then the other special team notes, um, we know Jake Penninger is going to be the kicker um, for the third year in a row. Then we touched on Devin Ford being a kickoff returner. Lamont and Wade is listed as the second string. And then for punt returns, Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, Marquise Wilson. So two receivers and then a really good-handed cornerback are going to handle punting duties this year. i love to see them be like – very dynamic in that arena again this year. You know, obviously Hamler was one of their returners the last couple of years. 
we see how explosive these guys are in handling uh, return duties. Yeah, I'll say for once, for once in the past couple of years, I'm not really that worried about special teams this year. Yeah, that's always a great sign. Um, we'll touch on it with Indiana a little bit later on, but they have some special teams issues that we could be taking advantage of. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so you want to get into Indiana? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we have our week one depth chart out. Let's get into Indiana. Just a little recap on them. Obviously, they're playing their first game of the year as well. They went 8-5 and five last year, 5-4 and four in conference in the Big Ten East. They actually lost their bowl game. They played in the Gator Bowl. They lost to Tennessee 23-22 in heartbreaking fashion. Last year when uh, these two teams met, they played in Happy Valley. Indiana entered the game on a four-game winning streak. However, they lost at Penn State 34-27. However, Indiana outgained they had more first downs, and they had more time of possession than Penn State. Um, this is a little short recap on the game. Penn State was in control most of the way, but then Indiana closed within three with about 10 minutes to go. From there, I know we were so excited about this last year, texting back and forth during the game. Penn State had an 18-play, 75-yard drive that lasted over nine minutes to put the game away, put the game on ice. Um, and although it was a seven-point difference at the end, Penn State was able to go up 10 at that point, and the, the game was over. It was a fantastic way to put the game away that we've been looking for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, how, many, how many times in the last couple of years have we saw a fourth quarter long, uh, lead blown because they somehow just cannot get that long grinding drive nope. to, to wind the clock down? It, it seems like it was just like every game or every game where they just can't get that long drive. And like you said, we were texting back and forth. I was like, wow, what, what, like, who is this team that we just saw have that nine-minute drive? Yeah. Like, I was like, holy cow. And there was a lot of uh, big key conversions. I know fourth down conversion. Sean Clifford had a, a miraculous drive there where he was getting conversion after conversion. That was an awesome way to end it. Um, however, for me, this Indiana team is really scary, especially playing out in Bloomington. Yeah, there's no fans, but it's just such a gloomy atmosphere. You fall in that trap, and all these, although these two teams should be pretty excited to go out and play because you know their season's been delayed and you know, things are just weird this year, I just... Oh, it's a scary setting out there in Bloomington. I feel like every time they go out there, it's a scary setting. <laughs> I think of like 2016, and you know they were Penn State was still rolling, and they right. had their you know they were in the middle of their red hot finish to the season. We're still down like at halftime or like the end of the third quarter. I forget, but it was such a close game, and it's like we should be killing these guys, but we're not because Indiana is just sneaky, sneaky good. Yeah, I remember. I mean, probably the last five or six years, every time they've gone out there, it's always like, oh, this is a trap game, this is a trap yep. game. It ends up being a really tough game that they really struggle with. So we'll see if they can, like, you know, change the script and actually dominate out there. Now I want to touch on some of the guys that really do scare me from Indiana. Stevie Scott is their running back, really experienced guy. He had over 1,000 yards from scrimmage in the 2019 season, so he does it both as a running back and a receiver out of the backfield. Last year against Penn State, though, they the Nittany Lions kept him in check. He only had 17 carries for 54 yards. He didn't have a touchdown. But he's still a really, really good running back in the Big Ten, somebody that Penn State has to worry about on Saturday. Yeah, they definitely are going to have to worry about him. But, you know, last year maybe they focused a lot on the run and they really got torched in the secondary. (laughs) Um, It was like 371 yards to be exact. You know, that was Peyton Ramsey last year Mm -hmm. um, throwing against them. You know, this year we'll be seeing a different quarterback. Um, but, you know, I think they just need to have a balanced attack on defense. And, you know, that includes, you know, bottling up Stevie Scott while also making sure that the secondary doesn't get burned as bad as they did last year. You know, you mentioned, you know, Peyton Ramsey as their quarterback. Their starting quarterback last year was actually Michael Penix Jr. 
he uh, was hurt for this game. So Peyton Ramsey stepped in. He did a phenomenal job. Uh, just to talk on um, Michael Penix Jr., he's a really efficient quarterback. He's Last year for the season, he had a completion percentage of almost 69%, and then no lower than 60% in any game in 2019. I mean, he only played six games, but he was a really efficient passer that this Indian offense isn't always looking for big plays. They're just looking to move the chains over and over and over again. They'll never really get behind the sticks. They'll never be, you know, second and 15. They'll not really beat themselves like that. But they just want it to be, you know, third and three, and then, oh, we convert. And then, you know, you get start getting tired on defense, and then they break out for their big play. So Penix is going to be the facilitator in that, and he does a really good job of doing that by completing a lot of passes at a high rate. Yeah, he had, you know, he has a good arm. Um, so, you know, that would be a concern for them. But, you know, also he's a little bit mobile, so it'll be yes. – um, It'll be interesting to see how the, the defense kind of contains him um, along with Stevie Scott. Yeah, and what's interesting about him, I don't know if I mentioned already, he's, he's a lefty thrower. Obviously, we saw two at Tagovailoa last year, but we don't see that many lefty throwers in football these days. So it's just a little bit of a different dynamic that Indiana presents with having Penix Jr. at quarterback. Um, some of the guys that are his um, weapons on the outside are really, really good players. Last year, we saw Wap Fillier have a really tough game at Penn State. He had two fumbles. He left the game early with a head injury. But for the season, he had 70 catches for over 1,000 yards. He's a really dynamic player that is really excited to come see this Penn State football team on Saturday. Yeah, I remember, I remember last year when we were putting together our preview, um, this was kind of the player on everyone's list to watch. And, you know, they, I think they really, like, game-planned well for him. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he, he left. There was a controversial targeting call that – knocked him out of the game and we didn't really have to to deal with him much after that but uh you know he's back this year with you know maybe looking to get some revenge he he did get kind of get screwed with that with that hit and he didn't really get to finish the game out you know like everyone was expecting Mm -hmm. him to be a major impact player and then the guy who did really step up for indiana last year in Fillier's um struggles and his absence was ty freifogel he had five catches 131 yards and a touchdown against penn state for the season, he was a really good player for them as their second receiver, 45 catches over 600 yards. Penn State has a game plan for the two of these guys now. And then also in the middle uh, was tight end Peyton Hendershot. He's back. He had 52 catches for 622 yards last year. So Michael Penix Jr. really does have a good assortment of weapons to throw to in this Indiana offense. Yeah, uh, the, the, like I said, the, you know, for Penn State, their, the, their biggest question mark last year was the secondary um and like there's a lot of you know good targets for for Penix to to throw to so you know we'll get into it a little bit later with the mailbag mm-hmm. but uh it's going to be tough it's going to be a tough matchup for this secondary now the skill players are really Indiana's strength on the offense offensive line probably not as strong which helps Penn State in that their defensive line and their you know their front seven in general is a really strong unit has some really good depth they could possibly possibly wear Indiana out especially towards the end of the game when if Penn State's up they can rush the passer, get after Penix Jr., um, or if they're down, you, you know, we can stuff the run and get the ball back if we really need to. Going over to Indiana's defense, they do return nine defensive starters from last year's team. However, that defense wasn't all that great. They allowed 24, um, over 24 points per game, and that was only 45th in the country last year. So, And Penn State, you know, they dropped 34 on them last year. They can be had on defense, even with these um, returning starters. And I think Penn State will, you know, Indiana's defense and their trenches, probably not their strength. It's going to be more of their skill guys on the outside. So Penn State's strength, their offensive line, you know, Noah Kane being, you know, 
a running back that really just works downhill, runs downhill the whole game. Um, I think that Penn State can really um, have their way with that or that Indiana um, front. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like I, I talk about it a lot, but you know, you win games up front, mm-hmm. and and this is <laughs> this is the matchup that Penn State has the advantage in, and you know they really need to take advantage and get you know get the the ball rolling early, um, get Noah Kane downhill, and you know get the offense off to yeah. a great start. And again, this is a, a pretty scary game, especially the first game. We're not sure what to expect. Right. But, you know, we know from last year that Indiana's going to put up a good fight regardless. Want to get into the mailbag? Talk about this Indiana football game? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, so we have two questions from the mailbag, um, both from Twitter. Thank you guys for um, passing these along to us. All right, our first question comes from uh, Jack Wint in the mailbag. What are the keys for the PSU defense to stop a team that dropped 371 receiving yards on them a year ago? With the addition of Penix Jr. under center, who can extend the play with his legs? We discussed this a little bit. Peyton Ramsey had a huge game against him last year at quarterback, um, and Penix Jr. is a pretty similar style quarterback, and he's a lefty, which is really different for this Penn State defense. What do you think Penn State can do to contain him? Yeah, so you know the secondary was a disaster last year. It's no secret. Um, but I think it, this comes down to exactly what you said in our last podcast about the secondary. Um, this group has a good mix of experience and athleticism mm-hmm. um, that they really need to draw from to, you know, hopefully not be as bad as they were last year, to simply put it. Um, Lamont Wade is going to be the biggest key. Um, he's the vocal leader out there. Um, he'll, help, he'll be helping out Brisker, who had some, some great moments, some not-so-great moments last year. I'm expect, excited to see him play. Um, he's got another year under his belt to, to kind of draw from. Um, and then you have Castro Fields, who also has a lot of experience out there. Um, he has his moments, um, but you know he is a really solid player when it comes down to it. In the end, it's it's really just comes down to can these guys draw on the experience they have to avoid a repeat a repeat of what they saw last year. You know, a mix of younger guys like Joey Porter Jr. and, and you know Marquise Wilson is a guy I'm, I uh, neglected to mention in our depth chart mm-hmm. discussion. I'm really excited about him. So hopefully, like two young guys like that that are going to be in the mix can kind of help shore up this secondary. I have two keys for this. Number one is we saw a lack of this big time last year when they did struggle on the, the defensive secondary. Communication. We know Indiana's going to want to spread them out. They're going to do their checks um, with about 20 seconds left on the play clock. They'll switch to something else. How quick is Penn State going to be in communicating the change in play or the change in what Indiana is doing so we can be prepared and what we want to do? I think the communication from the secondary and the linebackers is going to be so important. And look, you're at a, a field that's not going to have that many fans. So communication shouldn't be an issue in terms of noise or anything. It becomes an issue on the team and actually doing it, put themselves in really good positions. And my other key is if Penn State has a pass rush that we think they should have, that takes away a lot of pressure on the secondary. Yeah. So, and as far as containing Penix, uh, it's, it's really just going to come down to how well the linebackers play. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot to prove this year. This will be their first test. You know, they need to keep him contained and, like you said, you know, prevent him from extending the play with his legs. You know, Franklin tends to to get his linebackers a little smaller but faster. Um, so hopefully this kind of helps to make sure that they have the speed to catch him on the outside or, you know, to kind of spy him the whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be the biggest, key to, uh, biggest key to containing him. Yeah, I think he's going to do some different stuff where it's not going to just be, you know, Brandon Smith is the guy that's spying Michael Penix Jr. I think you'll see some Brandon Smith. Um, you'll see some Ellis Brooks. You'll see some Jesse Luketta. You'll also see Lamont Wade do it. You'll see Brisker do it. You'll see a lot of different stuff so that Penix Jr. doesn't have a good 
feel for what Penn State's defense is doing at all times. And then Penn State can mix in a couple different wrinkles that will really have them off balance. You know, maybe they drop in the zone, maybe they drop in the man, maybe they blitz him, maybe they blitz him from one side, or you know, maybe they just go right up the middle, right up in his face. I think it's gonna be a, a challenge for Brent Pry, but I think it's something that you know he's up for. He's gonna be excited to you know mix some things up, and hopefully, if the secondary communicates, they can really do a good job of preventing um, Penix Jr. from having a big game like Peyton Ramsey did last year. Yeah, that's a good point because you know I, we, I talked about you know how they are a faster linebacker group, and I think that really plays in their favor because they could, as you said, rotate who's going to spy on each play because they all have the speed to be able to catch the guy. Mm-hmm. And that will give them, help them rest up and make sure that they're not, you know, on them the whole game and exhausted. You know, you could kind of give another guy a chance to, to take care of them one play and, you know, vice versa into the next yep. couple plays. So that'll be how they're going to stop him on the run game. Okay, so we'll move on to the next question. It sounds like Jack... Uh, stole Aaron's question, Aaron Pregman. Um, Aaron Pregman asked us, fine, I'll do that other peasant a favor and ask a different question. Which Penn State wide receiver, not tight end, will have the biggest impact on this game? Once again, I've listened to your podcast for a long time. We know, Aaron. We know you're a big fan of us. We appreciate you uh, listening as always and supporting the podcast. I'm going to answer this, and it's the guy who's newest on the depth chart, Parker Washington. I think that if he's on there, that they're really, really excited about him. And it's somebody that, you know, kind of similar to, you know, I'm not saying that it's going to be the same impact right away, but, you know, we heard a lot of buzz about Allen Robinson a couple years ago. Allen Robinson had a huge, you know, debut game um, for Penn State. You know, K.J. Handler, we didn't expect much from him. Then we see him in the field, boom. Wow, look at this guy. Um, I think that it's going to be a similar impact. If Penn State's just excited about him and he's out there, with, you know, Journey Brown being out, maybe Penn State's looking to throw the ball more. Parker Washington seems like the guy in a, a group that somebody needs to step up in. Yeah, this is, that's exactly who I said was going <laughs> to be have the biggest impact. I, and we, we know we know what Dotson is. Um, we've seen a little bit of Cam Sullivan Brown, but this is kind of the one variable that is really something that needs to hit for Penn State to be able to, mm-hmm. um, to win in the receiving core and win in the passing game. Um, so, you know, there's no telling how big of an impact that he's going to make, but just having one big game could really set up, you know, a nice rest of the season, you know, considering the question marks that surround this receiver group. Yeah. So, uh, thank you again, Jack and Aaron for, uh, asking us those questions in the mailbag. Um, we hope in the coming weeks that more people ask us more questions. We love having, um, the fan interaction. So thank you again, guys. Um, for this week, we are not going to give a prediction on the Indiana game. Um, as we're going to do our weekly articles. However, what we will do next is we are going to do a week-by-week, um, you know, quick little prediction on what we think Penn State will do. Um, obviously, it's an eight-week season. There's no non-conference games. Um, so it's a Big Ten-only slate. So we know these teams pretty well. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I'm not kidding. Okay. I start with this. Can't say a store. We'll save that for the article. Yes. But... I have Penn State beat Indiana this week. How about you? I also have them. Yeah. Without spoiling my prediction score, I will say that this I think this game is going to be sloppy on both sides of the ball for both teams. Um, this is the first live game for all of these guys, yes. and Penn State's going on the road to play it in a place, as we already mentioned, that has historically been a thorn in their side. So I, think, I don't think that they're going to come out and see some really high-powered offense that's running on all cylinders. I, I, I really think that they kind of need a game to kind of 
just kind of get a feel for the game mm -hmm. and, and kind of break in all of the new players that they're going to be playing with. Okay, so we both have Indiana as a win. All right, week two, big game, Halloween night. The bleachers are going to be white out. <laughs> um, Ohio State's coming down, coming to town. They were preseason number five team. What do you got? So I know my bold prediction was a bold prediction and saying that they would beat Ohio State. But for this, I did become somewhat realistic and I said that they were going to lose this game. Okay. I, I still don't know if this team is good enough to beat Ohio State. You know, every year I seem to come in with the confidence that yeah. they're finally going to get over the hump. <laughs> but, you know, they continue to just crumble in the fourth quarter. So I'm predicting Fields, Justin Fields has a day and Penn State goes down again. See, I have them winning. And that's a great, you know, I'm very confident. You know, I, I see the best in this Penn State team where a lot of our fans see the worst. In. But yes, like Justin me. Fields returns. Um, Chris Olave is on the offense. After that, we're not sure about their receivers. We really aren't. You know, Julian Fleming's listed as one of the backups on the depth chart. You know, he's a talented guy, but what can we expect from him? Not sure yet. And also, for the first time in a while, um, there are some question marks on the defensive line. Ohio State. You know, we're used to the Bosa's, we're used to Chase Young being there, and they're just having a dominant unit. There are some questions, there's some inexperience there. I'm sure they have talent, but we're not sure on what they have. And I think that Penn State having a stronger offensive line than we've seen in the past could be the difference. I have Penn State winning that because I, I think they're a more well-rounded group at the moment than Ohio State is, despite Ohio State having two insane superstars on that offense. So I have them at 2-0. You have them at one of them. I do. Yes. Okay. So week three, Maryland. Uh, I don't think there's really much to say about this one. Uh, Penn State absolutely trounced them last year. I, don't, I think it's just going to be more of the same this year. So it's a W in Maryland. Yeah, how sad was it last year that Maryland got so excited? They canceled classes for the day and they lost <laughs> oh, 59. That was the Friday night game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty sad. Yeah. Um, I have Penn State winning. Maryland's still rebuilding under Mike Loxley. And they lost their best player from 2019, Anthony McFarland. I don't see that being a close game. Unless Penn State feels bad for themselves if they lose to Ohio State the week before. Hopefully that does not happen. <laughs> uh, so moving to week four, um, they're playing at Nebraska. I have bad memories of playing at Nebraska from the uh, 2012 game where Matt Lehman did not fumble at the goal line. Yes. The ball crossed the plane, guys. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, so what do you got for that one? Um, I actually think this ends up being like one of their tougher games of the year. Absolutely. Um, obviously no fans, but you know, they're still going on the road. And as you said, this is going to be their first time in Lincoln since 2012. First time seeing Nebraska since 2017. Uh, I think they're going to win, but I think it's going to be much closer than the spread might say. Yeah, I think it's a scary game. And we'll know more about Nebraska by week four. We'll see if Adrian Martinez, their you know, hyped up quarterback for the last couple of years, is taking the next step. Um, Scott Frost has a ton of hype around him as a, a coach. Um, this, it's, this team showing signs of breaking out in year three under Scott Frost. We'll have to see. Um, you know, I can easily see Nebraska being like an 0-3, 1-2 and type of team. Or, you know, they're 3-0 and, and they're ranked and people are really excited about them with Penn State coming into town. I do have them winning as well though. So, 3-1, 4-0? Yes. Okay. So, we're halfway through the slate. Week 5, we're playing Iowa. Who do you got? Um, I think this is going to be a close game, too. Um, last year, we saw Iowa outgame them and threw for nearly 300 yards. Um, so if I think if that trend continues, I think this is going to be another close one. Um, but I do think Penn State comes out with the win. See, I think Iowa losing Nate Stanley, their quarterback, for the last couple of years. A.J. Epinesa, a high draft pick. Tristan Wirfs, a high draft pick. Those are some really, really key pieces for Iowa. I don't expect them to you know, fall flat on their faces like they did in 2016 at Penn State. 
but I think that Penn State should handle them by you know a touchdown or two. And despite being at home and even without a COVID crowd, I think Penn State gets it done um, against Iowa. So I'm at five and all. You know, at this point, Penn State fans are probably hooting, hollering, we're all excited. And then the next week we have to go to the house. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I picked this one as a loss as well. Um, the past couple of trips to Ann Arbor have been disastrous. Yes. And I think Penn State goes there again and has some issues. Michigan came in last year and put up 417 yards of total offense mm-hmm. on Penn State. And, you know, we basically saw it come down to the drop pass in the end zone, yep. um, if everyone remembers that. Um, so it was, you know, it started off looking like Penn State was going to roll through them. But, you know, to Michigan's credit, they really came back and, and kind of showed Penn State what they are all about. Um, but I, I think that, I don't think that Penn State's going to be able to have, to be that lucky this year. They, they had the whiteout crowd in their favor last year. This year they're going to be going on the road. Again, no fans. Um, but it's still a road game. They're still going to be traveling to Michigan. They're still going to be in the hotel. It's still going to be a different experience than being yeah. here at Beaver Stadium. So I went with another loss because I don't think that this Penn State team is up to it. See, I have it as a loss as well for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Penn State has a terrible history there. 42-7 in 2018, 49-10 in 2016. Let's be honest, as much as those scores are blowouts, it wasn't even that close. In the James Franklin era, he also played um, as team play there in 2014. That was an ugly 18-13 loss that really was just a terrible, terrible loss in my opinion. Um, and then since 2000, they only have one win at Michigan. It was in 2009 when Michigan was in the Rich Rodriguez era, and they were really, really down program. They weren't even starting Denard Robinson yet. I also have it as a loss. Um, and also their running back, Zach uh, Charbonnet, he scares me so much. We saw him last year a little bit. He's a really good player. He's only a sophomore. Um, what I could see happening is, at that point, they're just going to ride him. It kind of reminds me of like Mike Hart back in like 2005, 2006, 2007 where Michigan would just give him the ball and say, go, you're winning the game for us. I can see uh, Charbonnet doing that, even with a new starter. It looks like Joe Milton, the new starter quarterback. I just don't like Penn State playing out in Michigan. And also, Michigan has a really strong defensive line this year that could give Penn State some problems, even though the Penn State offensive line should be stronger this year. Yeah, so what, we're, I'm looking at six or four and two at this point? You're four and two, I'm five and one. Now we go to the last two weeks of the season. Um, and we're in December now. December I did, football. I did see this today. I was very, I was very curious about this. Yeah. These December games. Uh, so week seven at Rutgers. God, man, that that could be a really snowy game. Who do you got? I picked Penn State doing this. It's been a long time since Rutgers has beat Penn State. You know, we're gonna see Shiano for the first time. The Shiano man. Yes, we are. I think this game will be a game for a little while, um, but I think in the end, Penn State will cruise to not a blowout, but a comfortable win. Yeah, and I have it as a win as well. I think Rutgers will be better under Greg Schiano. Um, obviously, we know the history with him at Rutgers in the early 2000s. Great time at Rutgers. But, you know, the only way Penn State really loses this game is if they let Michigan, if they lose to Michigan, beat them twice. In that case, you know, that's on them. I don't think Rutgers is talented enough to pull off the upset um, in this game, no matter what Penn State does the week before. Um, so moving on to week eight, the last week of the season, um, in terms of a known schedule, possible Big Ten championship, or um, you know it's a Big Ten championship week where all the teams do play each other um, in some way, shape, or form. I believe it's the one versus one, two versus two in each division. So you know, go with that. Um, so week eight, Penn State plays Michigan State. It'll be their senior day. 
they have a new coach, Mel Tucker, replacing Mark D'Antonio, who retired. So what do you think the outcome is going to be? I think Penn State to win this one as well. This was pretty hard for me, though, because you can really, I really haven't been able to predict um, how Penn State is going to play Michigan State. In recent <laughs> years, there's been some really weird circumstances yeah. surrounding this game for, um, I don't know, three or four years now. <laughs> so, um, But I think uh, Penn State takes advantage of... Uh, Michigan State's recent struggles and, and kind of wins this month. Yeah, this is such a rebuilding team. Last year, Michigan State was 105th in points, with only 22.4 per game. And Mel Tucker's a defensive coach, so I'm not sure how much he's going to boost this offense. And they're losing their starting quarterback in the last couple of years, Brian Lewerke, the top three receivers from last year. But they will scare me. <laughs> as, we'll, as we know, the weather has been very weird against, in this matchup. <laughs> uh, a lot of rain. And by December 12th, could be a lot of snow. Who knows how uh, things are going to shape up by then. But I do have Penn State winning. So I have them at 7-1. That probably puts them in a really good position to be um, in the Big Ten Championship, depending on how things shake out with Ohio State and Michigan. Um, maybe there's a surprise team in the Big Ten East. Um, and then you have them at 6-2. and two. I have them at 6-2, and two, which I think, um, you know, just a small nugget for a little prediction for this Big Ten Championship week. 6-2 and two Penn State team. Gets matched up with a six and two Minnesota team Ooh. from the West. Kirk gets a chance against his old team, and Penn State wins and gets revenge from last year. So that's our season prediction: seven and one from me, and then Brandon has six and two. Overall, I think we expect a pretty good year from Penn State. Fans will be upset if they lose Ohio State again. Guys, I'm sorry if they lose Ohio State. Yeah, it sucks, but Ohio <laughs> State's a really good program. We know that. And if that means we're a top 10, top 15 team, missing our best player, Micah Parsons, missing one of our best players, uh, Journey Brown, um, possibly for the whole season, I think we can live with that, or I hope we can live with that. We'll see how uh, fans react on Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm still really skeptical. I need to see it before um, I believe it. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I have it as a loss, but I really, I really hope they can finally turn it around this year. Yeah, we'll see how confident we are next week if Penn State just destroys Indiana week one. We're like, oh my god, this team is for real. Yeah, we're gonna learn a lot about them on Saturday. Yes. We are. Yes, that, I think that's what you know. I'm most excited about is finally see them get to see all the new guys, get to see a guy like Parker Washington, get to see like a guy like Noah Kane get you know the, all the carries in the backfield. So, um, looking forward to this uh, Saturday's game um, against Indiana again. It's at three thirty out in Bloomington, so it'll be kind of nice to see the, the road whites to start the year. Anything you want to add, Brandon, to, to end this podcast? No, that's about it. All right, so um, we thank you again for listening. If you would like to add questions to the mailbag for next week, I'm sure we'll get a lot of reaction um, based on how Penn State does this weekend. Um, just drop your questions when we post on Twitter or Facebook. Um, also, thank you guys for listening on either Apple or Spotify. Um, continue to listen, subscribe, review, and then also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter, um, at For the Glory OOS, um, and Facebook, For the Glory Old State. I also want to give a shout out to our new friends at For the Bloggy. Um, we haven't talked that much to Sean Clifford, but I was watching their Sean Clifford breakdown the other day. Really, really interesting talking about um, you know, his mechanics, his strengths, his weaknesses. Um, check them out. There, you know, there's some uh, new guys that are trying to get into the um, blogging game. Shout out to them. Uh, thank you guys again for listening. Talk to you guys next time.